The Lord be with you. I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they will welcome you into the eternal homes. Now, before the news reports that there's a rash of Lutherans robbing banks, <laughs> let's take a little bit of time to talk about how we read the Bible. Yeah? All right. So, two weeks ago, I talked about if you come across a passage that's confusing, use passages that are clear to make sense of it. But I want to build on that idea today to say, if you read a passage of the Bible that doesn't make sense, read more of the Bible. I always compare this to the movie Star Wars, right? In the movie Star Wars, there's a scene where Darth Vader says to Luke Skywalker, Luke, if only you knew the power of the dark side. And I say to people, that is 100% a line straight out of Star Wars. And so we might say, oh, well, if that's in Star Wars, it must be that the message of Star Wars is that we should all learn the power of the dark side. But if you've seen the whole movie, you understand that's, in fact, the exact opposite of the message of the movie Star Wars. That, in fact, you can't just take a single line out of the movie and expect it to make sense. And the Bible is the exact same way. Jesus is not a fortune cookie dispensing one-liners of wisdom. Jesus says things for a reason. And so when we hear a, a parable that appears to be about a dishonest manager, a manager whose master, a rich man, says, hey, you're squandering my wealth, so what's up with that? You're going to lose your job. And the manager says to himself, look, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. What can I do when I lose my job? And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll go around to all the people who owe my master money, and I'll say, hey, guys, why don't you tear your bill in half? This one's on me, huh? And that way, when I don't have a job, they'll welcome me into their homes. And it seems like that's pretty sketchy, right? That's corruption through and through. But a curious thing happens that the master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. And we say to ourselves, what is up with that? Well, when scripture doesn't make sense, read more of it. And my suggestion is always to say, Look, you got to read as much until it starts making sense, but a good place to start is a chapter before and a chapter after. And if you read a chapter before Luke 16, where we find this parable, you get Luke 15. And what happens in Luke 15, and if you came to God's Work Our Hands last Sunday, you heard this passage. What happens is that it says that sinners and tax collectors are coming to Jesus to listen to him. And it says that the religious people, called scribes and Pharisees, they're grumbling and they criticize Jesus for welcoming such sinners. And in response to this criticism, Jesus tells three parables. Jesus tells a parable of a lost sheep that is found, of a lost coin that is found, and a lost son that is found. That last one, the lost son that is found, we usually call that the parable of the prodigal son. And the message of all three of these parables is, hey, if someone's lost, they're worth finding. No one is meant to be thrown away because God doesn't make trash. So we, as God's people, we go and find the people who are lost, no matter how bad a sinner they are. And we rejoice when they want to be a part of our community again. 
that's the message of those three parables, and that's where Luke chapter 15 ends, but the conversation doesn't end. The conversation keeps right on going, and Jesus, after telling those three parables, he now tells a fourth parable, the parable of the dishonest manager, but Jesus doesn't tell this parable to the Pharisees or the scribes, Jesus doesn't tell this parable to the crowds who follow him. Jesus tells this parable to his disciples. Just to his disciples. And it's one of these things where, once again, it's helpful to read more scripture because if you read through the Gospels, you'll notice time after time, Jesus compares his disciples to God's managers. It's as if God has had to entrust this world to someone, and so God has chosen the followers of Jesus. But if you take a moment, you think about it, you think, wait a minute. In the parable, the manager is managing the wealth of a rich man. These disciples, they don't have some great wealth that they're managing. At most, they have a common purse, which they use to give money to the poor. But most days, they're relying on the generosity of others to meet their daily needs. So where is this great wealth that Jesus' disciples are managing? The riches that God gives to Jesus' followers are not the riches of gold and silver. They are the riches of eternal life. The riches of relationships of love with our neighbors. They're the riches of of God's eternal love. The riches that God gives Jesus' followers are the riches of relationship. The riches of a relationship with God, yes, but the riches of relationship with each other and even the relationship we have with our very own self. And, And in church, there's a word for having healthy relationships with yourself, with others, and with God, and that word is righteousness. Righteousness. It's having right relationship. And Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples that they are charged with managing the right relationships between people, between themselves, between themselves and God. Now, at first, you might think to yourself, no, it really seems like he's talking about money. And if you don't listen carefully, that's a, a fair thing to say, right? In fact, in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 14, the Pharisees, who've been sitting in on this conversation since the beginning, it says that they're lovers of money. And if you think this passage is just about money, it makes no sense. And so the Pharisees mock Jesus for telling this parable. But Jesus' response to them is, You are those who love to justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. And what is prized by human beings is an abomination to God. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, this isn't just about money. This is about what this conversation started off at the very beginning. There are people coming, wanting to be a part of our community, and you say they are sinners. You are dragging them down so you can puff yourself up so that you can look good in other people's eyes. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, this is a conversation about righteousness, about how we manage the relationship with ourself, with others, and with God. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. Siblings in Christ, as followers of Jesus, we have incredible power to manage other people's relationship with God. 
we as followers of Jesus have the power to hold people's sin up to their face and say, your actions are hindering you from having a healthy relationship with God, with your neighbors, even with yourself. And you need to realize that. We as Christians also have the power to say to people, you messed up, but you've dealt with that. That is your past. Put it away. Your guilt and your shame is now what is preventing you from having a healthy relationship with God, with your neighbors, even with yourself. Jesus calls this power the power of the keys. He says to his disciples that they have the power to bind sin and to loosen it. That is the power that we have as Christians. And you may say to yourself, do I really have that power? But I'm willing to bet if you've ever had an experience where you've been meeting someone maybe at a party, maybe at a work event or something, and, uh, and they're not a Christian, and you say, oh, I am a Christian. There's a moment where you can see in their eyes a flicker of terror. They go, <gasps> right? It's this moment of realization, like this person says they're a Christian. Are they about to judge me? Right? It's because that person knows that as a follower of Jesus, you have that power. And so the question is, what are you going to do with it? And, the, and what we should do with it may not always feel clear, even to those of us who are pastors. Maybe sometimes, especially to those of us who are pastors. Uh, back when I was in New York, I was uh, part of a Lutheran camp. It was called Pinecrest, and it was explicitly a leadership camp where we, we brought teenagers, and over the years, we helped train them to become leaders. So they started off just as, you know, campers, and over the time, they became counselors. And we thought it would be fun to have a competition between all the cabins, and we thought it would be great for the pastors to join in, and, and one of the competitions was tug-of-war. Now, being grown adults, we pastors won most of our tug-of-war competitions, but there was one cabin, one cabin of teenagers that for whatever reason managed to knock us down and drag us through the mud. And I will tell you, for, you know, dignified leaders of the church to be knocked down and dragged through the mud by, let's face it, children was rather humiliating. We didn't like that feeling. So we thought to ourselves, what do we do? We demanded a rematch, but before the rematch, we trained, we coordinated, we practiced our technique. So, because when the time came, what we wanted is payback. Yeah? Now, payback's an interesting word, right? Payback implies there's a debt in a relationship that needs to be repaid, but it's not a financial debt, right? It's a debt of righteousness. It's a saying, hey, something was taken from our relationship. Until it is returned, we can't have a right relationship with each other. We can't have righteousness. And if you read through the Gospels, what you'll notice is that Jesus frequently uses the language of debt to describe sin. So much so that some translations of the Lord's Prayer, right? Later in our service today, we'll, we'll say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But many translations, including in the gospel, have Jesus teach us, forgive us our debtors. No, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yeah, That language and of debt and sin are connected. And even today, we use this, right? If someone goes to jail and they get out, what do we say? We say, oh, They've paid their debt to society. There is this sense that if someone has done something wrong, they need to do something to pay it back. And so when Jesus 
talks to his disciples about a parable in which there is a manager managing their master's debt. It is an invitation for us to think about how do we manage the debt of sin that people have in their relationship towards God, which maybe we don't always think about, but that's what we're doing each and every day, sometimes better or sometimes worse. In Pinecrest, right, these pastors, they weren't thinking about, hey, these kids, what's their relationship with God right now? What we were thinking is, hey, these kids, they owe us a debt of honor, and so we had a rematch We tugged on that rope, and we dragged those kids through the mud, smeared their face across the grass. I got a picture of it right here. This is us celebrating afterwards. Yeah, we're number one. You can see I'm the big, strong pastor right in the middle with the glasses. Yeah, yeah. And as we cheered our defeat over these kids, one of the pastors, not me, unfortunately, said, wait, what are we doing? We're grown adults. We're pastors. Why do we need to beat children to prove that we have worth? What is wrong with us? To say, these kids have been entrusted to us by their parents for a week. They were entrusted to us by their parents so that we could build up their relationship with Jesus, not so that we could puff up our own ego at their expense. And yet, siblings in Christ, this is what Christians do time and time again. I talk to so many people who say, no, I get you're a pastor, but I don't care about Jesus. I don't want a relationship with God. And the number one reason why people tell me that is because they've had experiences of Christians who want to drag them through the mud to make the Christians feel better about themselves. Christians who say, hey, we are in charge of managing people's relationship with God, and we're here to smear your face in what you've done wrong. So the question then becomes, is that what we're supposed to do? You'll notice the most obvious thing about the parable Jesus tells us today is that we are managers of God's wealth. We don't own it. It's not ours. When we talk about, hey, people have committed sin, they have a debt to repay, it's not to us, right? People may hurt us. Yes, that is true. We may need to talk about, hey, what has happened in our relationship and how we make it right, but at the end of the day, none of us are perfect. The righteousness that we have in this life comes only from God, and so when we talk about helping people make things right from their sin. We are first and foremost talking about people's debt to God and not to us. And that's the first mistake that we as pastors made that day in Pinecrest, yeah? But to say then the question becomes, okay, well, how do we manage people's debt to God? How does God want us to deal with that? Does maybe God actually want us to drag people down and smear them through the mud? And there are places in Scripture that kind of sound like maybe that's what God's looking for. One of those places is the book of Jeremiah. Now, we've been spending the last month in the book of Jeremiah, and we'll spend about another month in the book of Jeremiah, because once again, it's important to read the whole story to make sense of it. We started off a few weeks back with Jeremiah's call to be a prophet as a child. God saying, I will put the words in your mouth, don't worry. We heard Jeremiah rail against the people of Jerusalem saying, hey, you've fallen into idolatry and injustice. 
There will be consequences for this. We heard a couple weeks ago, God sent Jeremiah down to a potter's house to see a pot that's misshapen and squished and God saying, tell the people of Jerusalem that if they listen to me, there is time for me to reshape them into how they're supposed to be. But if they don't, right, if they insist on maintaining their shape, I will be forced to shatter them, to rebuild them. Today in Jeremiah 8, we get to that point to say the warnings of Jeremiah have not been heeded. And so God's repo man comes in to make sure the the people of Jerusalem pay what is owed. And that repo man comes in the form of an army, the army of Babylon. And the army of Babylon surrounds the city of Jerusalem, lays siege to it, burns it to the ground, The book of Lamentations is just a whole book describing the carnage of this. It describes priests being slaughtered in the temple, children killed on the streets, men and women carried off in chains as slaves. And in this moment, we hear the fulfillment of what Jeremiah has been prophesying. What Jeremiah has been telling people will happen if they don't listen to God. This is the payment that will be demanded. And in this moment, what do we see? Do we see God like the pastors in Pinecrest cheering, be like, yeah, I'm number one. Where are your idols now, suckers? No, that's not how God responds. What we hear God do is weep. We hear Jeremiah say God's words, oh, that my head were a spring of water, oh, that my eyes were fountains of tears, that I might weep night and day for the slain of my poor people. This is what it means to squander God's property, to drive people to destruction and despair, to let people's sin shatter them to their breaking point, to sever relationships between God and God's people. God sees what happens when people are forced to pay the price of their sin, and it breaks God's heart. And so God asks, isn't there a better way? We hear God say, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician to heal our wounds. There is a better way, and that better way is Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus pays our debts to God, so much so that Jesus says, I'm going to make everything square between each and every one of you and God, and if you think someone still needs to be knocked down and dragged through the mud for God's honor to be restored, well, let that be me. Let it be God who gets dragged through the mud and no one else. Jesus is our physician, and like a good physician, Jesus names the sin that makes us sick. But Jesus names our sin not to shame us and not to destroy us, but like a physician, Jesus names the sickness of our sin so that it can be healed. Because Jesus is also the balm that heals the wounds in our relationship between us and God. Jesus does this simply out of love. There is a word 
for the way in which Jesus makes sure that every single debt we might have with God is made square, and it's called grace. And some of you may know that in English we say that grace is an acronym. We say grace is an acronym that stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. To say, do you think someone owes God something? Jesus will happily pay it. And this grace is the key to understanding the parable we hear today in Luke 16. Because God, God is not interested in God's riches of righteousness being collected, being gathered up in a sack and handed back to God. God doesn't need us to be God's repo men. God wants this righteousness shared. God wants this righteousness to set people free. Now, I want to be clear. There is a place for naming sin. But if you notice in the parable, the manager doesn't go around to people and say, this is how much you owe my master. No. The manager in the parable says to each person, what do you owe my master? Because the truth is, each of us know We may not want to think about it in that moment, and and sometimes, yes, someone needs to come and sit with us and lovingly ask us, hey, what's going on in your life that's preventing you from having the relationships you need with God, with your neighbors, with your family, with yourself? What do you owe? But we are just called to ask the question. The manager is only praised when the manager forgives people's debts when the manager sets people free. And that is true for us also. We as Christ's people are called to set people free, to forgive them their debts. And here's the wild thing. We give away this righteousness, we forgive debts, but this righteousness was never ours to start with. It was just loaned to us for a time. And so we might say, what right do we have to give away what belongs to God? We don't. We might even say we're giving away wealth unjustly, just like Jesus says in the parable. But Jesus tells us, do it anyway. If anyone asks, say, Jesus said it was okay. That's what we're called to do because God gives us God's riches to use to set people free, to set people free from sin and shame, to set people free to love and serve. And so in this way, we might actually realize that this parable is also about money. It's also about money because this parable's point is that everything we have in this life, whether it's our righteousness, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our life itself, is given to us on loan by God. We are given everything in this life for a set period of time, and at the end of that time, We have to give it all back. We don't get to keep any of it. That's not true. We do get to keep one thing. We get to keep the love that we have shared in Christ's name. Or as Jesus says, you get to keep the friends. That's what we keep. And so the question this parable asks us is what are we going to do with what God has loaned to us Will we use it to drag people through the mud and puff ourselves up in an attempt to gain more of something we don't get to keep anyway? 
Or will we give it away and use it to set people free? May we, siblings in Christ, make friends by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they will welcome us into the eternal homes. Amen.